Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Sunday to all of you. We are starting a new week here in Israel, around the world, and it is, means it's time for another live Tamar Yona show. If you're listening to this on Sunday, between 4 to 5 p.m. holy time right here in the land of Israel, over it's between 9 to 10 a.m. U.S. Eastern time, that means that we are live and you can call into the show and you can ask a question or comment about any of the topics that we are talking about. If you're hearing the show that's not Sunday at those times, it means it's a replay and you cannot call in. By the way, all of our shows are archived and you can listen to them from our homepage at israelnewstalkradio.com. There's a menu bar that goes across the screen and look for your show host and if you just wave your mouse over that uh, menu window is going to come up and you'll see all of your show hosts there. Click on your favorite show host. We have so many good ones and you can see all of their shows archived there if you've missed any. All right, today's show, the most serious non-war related decline in life expectancy. Hmm. I wonder why. What has changed? We'll be talking about that. As they, as my guest says, Biden, U.S. President Biden has presided over the most serious non-war related decline in life expectancy in history. That's what he says. Also, Shanghai Cooperation Organization, Iranian Arabs. Now, remember, Iranians by culture, are not Arabs. Uh, however, there are Arabs that live in Iran. Uh, Jewish arrows in Europe's quiver. That sounds interesting. And demand destruction versus supply shortages. We're going to try to cover all of that today on the show. And our guest is Dr. Mordechai Ben-Menachem. He is a researcher, former lecturer at Ben-Gurion University. He's authored over 80 books and 400 research papers on science, history, and more. He commentates on Mideast and world global issues. Welcome to the show, Dr. Mordechai Ben-Menachem. Thank you. All right, good to have you on. So, where would you like to start? Well, let's begin with life expectancy, since that's where most things begin. If not with life, at least with expectancy. All right, let me, let me start off by giving some, some uh, uh, concepts of what's going on today around, around uh, this issue. I'm talking specifically about the United States, but not exclusively about the United States. Okay? So we'll, we'll see in a moment. Uh, the U.S. Army has suggested now to its um, serving soldiers that uh, um, uh, they sign up for food stamps because the Army doesn't have the wherewithal to feed them. To provide them with enough to feed their families. Uh, I, I recruit to the U.S. Army makes about $20,000 a year, which is well below subsistence level in the United States, for those who are not aware. Um, now, this is while the U.S. military budget is over $800 billion per year, whereas more than the next nine countries put together, including China. So, for that reason, and among, among many, many, many other reasons, 
U.S. military recruitments from down this year are, are, are down this year by more than 45 percent. In other words, the coastal elites that uh, uh, have been basically uh, uh, drumming uh, uh, over the airwaves and every other waves how the uh, uh, deplorables and the the the, the clingers and the, I don't know what other uh, 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 ridiculous epithets they've been using over the past few years are such horrible people and such um, uh, uh, semi-fascists and etc. By the way, I very probably one of those uh, semis, whatever that means. Um, They've been depending on the fact that these people serve, serve them as soldiers. Of course, they don't want to join the army. I mean, we know Biden, for instance, when he was the age of draft, and at that time the draft was required in the United States, he uh, 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 faked a sickness, and uh, the sickness suddenly disappeared three days later after he, after he received, his, received his deferral. So let's put that into context now. Okay. okay? A gentleman by the name of Nicholas L. Eberstadt, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, a leading think tank demographer, wrote a paper. And by the way, I strongly recommend this paper. It is not an easy paper to read, but it is not long. The name of the paper is Can America Cope with Demographic Decline? It's a fascinating paper. Very, very uh, important. Um, uh, For those who prefer it uh, uh, verbally and not uh, to read the paper. Uh, uh, there's a program called Uncommon Knowledge where he was uh, uh, interviewed about this paper, and that is also a fascinating uh, video. It's about an hour long. But uh, in the paper, he, he, he made the following statement, and I'm quoting, the work rate employment to population ratio for men, civilian, non-institutional, 25 to 54 years of age, is, as we speak, worse than it was in the 1940s census, when the national unemployment rate was 15%. So right now, we have depression-level employment rates for prime-age men in the United States. Well, that's a complicated statement. Let me break it down a bit. So first of all, we're talking about, we're differentiating, differentiating between employment rate and unemployment rate most people expect them to be the opposites they are not they're components because you also have many many people in the united states as many many tens of millions of people who are neither employed nor unemployed they're out of the workforce for instance many small business owners that lost their businesses during covid during the the lockdowns are neither employed nor unemployed. They do not get unemployed uh, uh, compensation, unemployment compensation, and so they are not ranked with the unemployed. They're not counted as unemployed, but they are not employed. So we're talking about, first of all, males, men, between the ages of 25 and 54, which is a prime employment employment uh, um, uh, cohort, and this. Demographer, he's considered to be one of the leading demographers in the United States, uh, uh, says that the employment level right now is at depression level employment. That is horrible. 
So while the Biden administration, we've we've spoken about this many times in the in the past few weeks, has been touting the unemployment figures as being surprisingly low. The unemployment is low and the employment is low. Unemployment being low, if those were those concepts were opposite to one another, that would imply that the employment is high. It is not. It is low. Why aren't the Republicans talking about this? At least I haven't heard them. Well, that, that, that's a whole, whole, whole another issue. Um, uh, 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 Glenn Greenwald claims that the Republicans are afraid right now of being, uh, um, um, uh, um, um, how do you say it in English? Um, Targeted? Um, be, being made, uh, made, made being made an illegal party. There, there are, are uh, there. They claim he claims that there are serious concerns about whether or not the Republican Party can survive to the end of Biden's uh, four years. And we see, of course, that there have been uh, many, many tens of high-level Republicans that have been either. Uh, 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 harassed or or, or or raided or all sorts of other things, um, uh, and of course nobody is. This is not escaping anybody about in terms of the uh, the uh, eighty seven thousand new uh, employees, prospective employees or whatever. I don't know if any of them have joined yet of the IRS, and they expect to be uh, seriously harassed in that in that area as well. And of course. All of these kinds of activities cost these people much a, a great deal of money. I mean, it's a, it's very expensive to pr- protect yourself legally against all of these things. Hmm. Okay. So the, basically, the the, the the bottom line issue on that, if he's assuming, of course, that he is correct, and I, I think he is, I'm not certain, um, basically the Republicans are running scared, which is a very interesting comment, I think. But you think that Trump, I don't think Trump is running scared, do you? I don't think Trump scares on, on, from anybody on anything at any time. Trump is a fighter. He's a person who doesn't scare. I mean, you don't scare a guy like Trump. Right. Um, but that's not necessarily um, true for the, the rank and file or, the, or even the, uh, the, the congressional representatives, certainly not at the state level. These are basically just ordinary people. That want to get a job done. Okay. I mean, some of them stick out. I mean, you have people like uh, uh, the Republicans. If you actually look at talent, um, uh, uh, um, uh, we can look at the entire cabinet and behind Biden, the the the, the succession according to law, and there's a single person there that is that can be classed as as impressive, by my estimation. But on the other hand, on the Republicans, there's an enormous cohort of Really, a highly talented, very, very interesting people. Uh, and let, let's put Trump aside for a moment. With uh, that's sort of an irrelevancy at the moment. Um, uh, but you look at people like uh, Pompeo, uh, uh, Nikki Haley, uh, uh, Tom Cotton, uh, Tom, uh, uh, Ted Cruz, uh, uh, Ron DeSantos. Uh, um, um, what's her name uh, from Dakota? Uh, the the governor of Dakota. Um, um, now I forget her name, but whatever. She's very talented. She's very. Uh, she she appears very intelligent. She knows what she's talking about. All of these people are. Okay, really, really hang on right there. We've got to go to a break. We're going to be right back. We have a lot of topics to talk about.
are back here at the Tamar Yona Show on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. And our guest is Dr. Mordechai Ben-Menachem. And we've been talking about the most serious non-war-related decline in life expectancy. And you were talking about uh, all of this, including the possible demise, or at least a fear of demise of the Republican Party, even before the end of Joe Biden's term. So we're... Some some many Republicans appear to fear that. I didn't not okay. even prediction. All right. Um, uh, let's go on. We, we, so we were talking about the condition of employment. Uh, we were talking about the con- the condition of uh, of serving soldiers in the American Army. And now let's go on from there. And well, we'll uh, 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 Peter Robinson, who is a an, an interviewer, but he's an, an extraordinarily talented uh, gentleman. Just as, as a by the way, he was the one who wrote a speech for Ronald Reagan, and when Reagan was in the White House, the famous "pull down this wall" speech. And so he, he's an extraordinary, talented gentleman. And he, during the course of this interview with uh, Nicholas Eberstadt, I'm sorry, I'm not pronouncing their name easily, uh, made a comment: "Quote: Our civilization no longer likes life." Very interesting statement. Very interesting comment. Why? From a person who is very intelligent. Well, it turns out that the question of whether or not a civilization survives more than anything else, survives physically, survives in terms of human beings, more than anything else is a question of optimism. Do you truly believe that what you leave to your progeny is or will be better than what you received. That's the sort of definition or informal definition of demographic optimism. Do you believe that your existence has been for the for for the good or bad of the planet, of humanity, of whatever whatever your definition is? Do you leave your progeny better better situated than what you received? And if the civilization no longer likes life then that, the answer to that question would be no. You do, you do not believe that you are, you have, your existence has improved things. You believe that your existence has made things worse. It's critical differentiate between two separate numbers here, two separate demographic concepts. One is a decline in life, inspe- life expectancy. The other is replacement. Replacement, as we've, we've said many times in the past, the, the, the number of, uh, uh, of uh, uh, live births per female in the population, replacement is uh, 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 2.11 births per female. Um, most people shorten that to 2.1. I'm being more exact. It doesn't matter. Uh, 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 uh. America has been sub-replacement now for more than two decades. The American birth rate right now is hovering around 1.5, 1.6, depending on what survey you look at. In terms of life expectancy, and this I think is a number which is, which shocked me. Maybe other people find it un, 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 uh, unremarkable. Okay. In terms of a list of life expectancy by country, the United States now is number 90. Nine zero. 
In other words, it's not even any, anywhere close to the top. Well, I would imagine that if that is their Western lifestyle of processed foods and perhaps vaccinations um, and other things. Go ahead. Oh, yes. Well, that's clearly part of it, but that's, a, that's only a small part of it. First of all, people are generally unhappy, as witnessed by what I mentioned about the soldiers, as witnessed by, uh, uh, um, as Eberhardt, uh, Eberstadt, sorry, uh, 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 describes it, uh, uh, depression-level employment rates. That's very sad. I mean, we have, we, we have, we have, humanity hasn't seen that in the United States now since the 1930s. That's 90 years from 90 years ago. Hmm. So this is not this is not good. Now we go on from from there. So, okay. uh, uh, yeah, you, when you're talking about um, um, uh, uh, things like. Uh, 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 bad dietary habits and then and, and the questionable, questionable vaccinations, if it can be called a vaccination at all, right? and etc. Well, that determines the death rate. But the death rate is also determined by a lot of other things. Um, if I give just one pretty horrible example, um, uh, 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 if we look at uh, 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 the city I believe it calls itself the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia. Yes, go. And um, just to give a uh, just to give a few numbers, I'm rattling them off. Pardon me if it's too quick to to count to to get the actual numbers, but I'm just going going to go through them quickly because we need to know what's going on here. Uh, 2019, 356 murders. 2020, 499 murders. 2021, 562 murders. In 2022, in, in only three quarters of the year already, 386 murders. That's the city of brotherly love. It's very sad. And this is this is not specific to Philadelphia. Certainly, I'm not being in any in any way critical to that city. I don't really know the city at all. I think I may have visited it once or twice, but. Certainly not someplace that I that I'm that I have any intimate intimate feelings for or familiarity with. Um, this is typical across the United States, as I've said in, the, in in the past. More people are murdered by gun violence, by sorry, by violence, violence, not necessarily guns, by violence. For instance, in the city of Chicago, a city of only two million people, than ever died in any specific year in Afghanistan and Iraq together. Hmm. Very, very sad. So when you when we're talking about life expectancy, we're talking about um, drugs. We're also we're talking about the things that you mentioned, of course, but we're talking about hundred thousand yeah, more to drugs, dying right? of drugs. We're yeah. talking about uh, 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 nearly a hundred thousand people dying every year of homicides. Of all kinds of all, all sorts of all kinds. We're talking about uh, uh, um, automobile accidents. We're talking about everything. We're talking, you know, every every cause of death, including causes of death that that that, that are just strange and, don't, and we don't really have explanations for, which would come under your heading of the uh, the, the, the so-called vaccination. 
Now let's go on. Let's leave the, the discussion from the United States for a moment and move over to Europe and see how this, how this concepts, how these concepts map from the United States to Europe. And I'm being very uh, clear and specific in the in terms of that uh, um, um, uh, of the connection between the two, because more than at any time in the past. Uh, 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 say, 80 or 90 years, the United States is very much leading and the Europeans are very much following. In, in every cultural sense that exists, this is, uh, 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 in, in terms of politics, this situation is extraordinarily interesting. Okay? So, Russia and Belarus, who are both uh, embargoed right now, Traditionally, supplies 60 percent of of uh, European fertilizer. In addition to those, most other fertilizers are natural gas based. In other words, they're manufactured from natural gas, which is also embargoed from because most of that gas came from from uh, from Russia. That Europe, that means that European food growth will shortfall by approximately 50 percent this year. We expect Europeans to grow half of the food that they usually grow. Remember, the only European country, only one, that has significant export revenue from agricultural products today is Netherlands. And we've all seen how the, the, the farmers, farmers have, yeah. uh, 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 um, are protesting uh, there. Protesting there extraordinarily vigorously. That's not normal for, for Holland. I've lived in Holland. I've lived in Netherlands. They tend to be very quiet people. They don't protest easily. Mm. Well, they're hurting Remember, a lot. Remember, 60% yeah. of global calories are highly dependent upon fertilizers made from natural gas. So if there's a shortfall in natural gas, there's a shortfall in food. If you do not pump natural gas out of the ground, you don't eat. Very simple statement. People think of it in terms of, oh, it's making carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. Well, they need to rethink that and, and realize that natural gas does a lot more than just provide heating. Cost of agriculture, that's another thing that people need to be aware of. The cost of agriculture, particularly in Europe, in Europe Agricultural inputs such as fuel and, 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 and seeds and everything else have increased by more than 100% over the past year. So everybody's been talking for the last year. Are, are we going to be seeing a million dead Europeans this year from the cold? My guess, and this is a guess, being, being clear here, my guess is that we'll probably not be seeing that. I doubt that. I think they'll have enough for that purpose, but we're already seeing massive industry collapse across the European Union. All right, we're going to have to take a break, but we're going to be talking more about this. I have questions as well. We'll be right back, everybody.
We are back here at the Tamar Yona Show on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com, and we are speaking with Dr. Mordechai Ben-Menachem. He's talked about the life expectancy in the United States, also now in Europe. A lot of people are predicting a very, very uh, harsh winter reality that awaits Europeans with the shortage of food, with the shortage of energy to be able to heat their homes, etc. And we're going to go now because we just for time wise uh, limitations, Shanghai Cooperation Organization. Tell our listeners what that is. Okay, first of all, I'm going to shorten the thing a little bit. SCO. Um, uh, SCO is an organization uh, begun in 1996. Originally, it was called the Shanghai Five. It's called Shanghai because that's where the first meeting was. And they, 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 don't, they, they meet in a different city every year, every time they meet. Um, it was, began as a more or less informal, I'll call it a discussion group, info, or semi-formal discussion group of Eurasian countries that wanted to simply cooperate economically. Of course, it has uh, evolved enormously over the past quarter century. Today, the organization consists of eight member states with four observers. I'll be even a little bit more accurate. Four observers, nine dialogue partners, and four guest attendant entries. And we won't go into all the, the nonsense of the, the, those, what those definitions individually mean right now. I, I, I want to interrupt interrupt you for a second because I've been watching this on foreign news channels because, unfortunately, I don't see pretty much any of this on the on, on American mainstream news but they're they're talking about and tell me if I'm wrong if I misunderstood this that this um, this term that you're using of the SEO is basically like uh, a NATO for China it's basically a new alliance against the West okay that's a problematic statement and let me define why that's exactly where I was going with this okay, okay? China and Russia this year have more or less uh, 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 proposed that the SCO be pushed towards being some sort of, uh, let's call it a replacement for the Warsaw Pact, an anti-NATO or anti-Western organization. India, which is one of the founding members, clearly does not agree to that. So is that going to happen or not? We do not know. The, last, the latest meeting took place Friday, Saturday. In other words, yesterday and the day before. Um, the biggest news from that meeting on a, on a strictly structural level was that Iran formally uh, 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 um, uh, uh, requested to become a, a full member. Iran up till now was one of the observer states. And I'll just read off the, the list of, uh, of names for, for just a second. The member states are India, Pakistan, China, Russia, Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, Kazakhstan, and Kyrgyzstan. The observer states, Afghanistan, Belarus, Iran, Mongolia. Now, Afghanistan was not at the meeting. I don't think that shocks anybody. All these other states were. Most of them were represented by the head of state. In other words, Putin was there, Xi was there, Modi was there. Right. This is a big thing. This is not a trivial thing. Right. Um, uh, 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 so... Putin and Xi are pushing to make it more formal, to make it more, uh, um, let's call it oppositional in terms of the West. 
India is, is uh, um, uh, uh, attempting to straddle, uh, straddle, say, uh, uh, put some brakes on that somehow, make it more neutral, make it more. Uh, leave it more economic. I, I see that India is trying to straddle both sides. They don't want to ruffle feathers. They, they they don't know yet really where. They don't want to commit to one side or the other. They want to play as neutral as possible. I would, for the I time would being. say that that's the formal definition that they that they use. I'm not certain if that's what I'm perceiving at the moment. Okay. I think I'm perceiving more a question of who the heck am I and what do I really want out of life? Uh, uh, India is having a schizophrenic moment. It really does not know where it wants to be. Traditionally, what you just said is exactly what they were. They, since the time of Nehru, the prime minister, a uh, uh, founding prime minister of of the of the Indian state in 1947, they have made a point of being neutral on every issue, neither west nor east. They say we're not west, we're not east, we're South Asia. Um, but that doesn't really work anymore. Remember, India is part of the first quad, the East Asian quad, Australia, United States, uh, 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 Japan, and India, and now part of the Western Asian quad, uh, Israel, uh, United Arab Emirates, United States, and India, uh, uh, U2I2. Um, so both of those organizations are very clearly Western. And very clearly more than just economic. They're clearly designed to push back against China in terms of the East and clearly designed to uh, uh, replace the United States in terms of West Asia. So India at this point in time needs to start a process of changing its mindset. And I think this meeting of the SCO that took place just yesterday the day before may be a very historic moment for a government of India. And by the way, I'm a very strong uh, uh, believer, a very strong uh, uh, pro Moody. I think he's a superb prime minister, and I think he's done a, 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 an amazing job as the head of the head of state of India. And, and I'm very optimistic in terms in terms of him personally. I do not see a solution to their problem, but I want to raise a couple of questions here, and I'm not going to answer them, but questions that people need to be aware of. Okay. So the big short-term question here, will the apparent success of the Ukrainian counter-offensive affect Russian involvement in the Middle East? On the short term, it already has. We know that Russia has pulled out some of its involvement in Syria. What else is it going to pull out? If it will, we do not know. Second question, will this weaken Iran or their resolve? We know that Iran, and you've spoken about this many times, has, uh, 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 has been dragging its feet mainly in terms of the, 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 so-called, J, uh, the, the so-called Iranian nuclear deal. They're not in any hurry to, uh, to, to sign a deal. And now the... Uh, uh, people like Blinken are talking about little only the after the midterms. Clearly, they're thinking both sides, both the Bidenites and the Iranians, are thinking in terms of let's not make this internal pol- politically, in- internally politic in the United States. Pardon me. And the last question on this issue is: 
Are China and Russia trying to create an, a new anti-NATO? I made a statement that I think that they are, but I need to make it, make it understood. I think they are. I think that's what they're saying. But as I said, India is pushing back, and it's very unclear where this is going. Okay? Okay. So talk to me about Jewish arrows in Europe's quiver. Okay. <clears throat> as, we, as most people probably know, the Europeans are not overly... Um, how should I put this uh, politely? Overly anxious to purchase weapon systems from Israel. Is that a, is that a, a mild understatement or is it not? <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to be a nice guy here. Okay. Not, not always successful with that. Okay. Um, they bought, in the past, they bought various, various uh, uh, weapons, but they've never bought weapon systems. And there's a big difference between the two concepts. Germany, apparently... Not signed yet, so I'm, I'm being careful of my wording. Germany apparently has chosen the Israeli Arrow missile defense system to defend the German homeland against a missile attack. And this is very important because Germany is afraid today, deathly afraid of Russia and very afraid of Iran. Remember, Iran today has missiles that can reach, already today, can reach every European capital, including London including Oslo. Germany is shaking. And they have apparently decided to, buy, to purchase the Arrow system. Remember, the Arrow is a system. It's not just a piece of equipment. You're not buying a, a piece of hardware. You're buying a system, which means that you're basically stuck together for 30 years. So... If this is true, if they are really are uh, uh, going to purchase the Arrow, and as I said, apparently they are, but it's not signed yet. Um, this is highly significant. They have never in the past done this, and it, it is unclear what the reaction of the Americans will be to this, because till now, the Americans always demanded, remember, it's not an expectation, it's a demand that the Europeans buy, if they buy military equipment that is not European, that would be purchased from America. Remember, just a few years ago, they the American government sanctioned Turkey because it bought a Russian system rather than an American system. Again, an air defense system. And Turkey was strongly, severely sanctioned because of that. So... What will, the, what will the reaction of America be to this? Nobody knows at this point. But it's a very, very significant purchase if it occurs. By the way, we're not talking about a little, a little bit of money here. We're talking about uh, uh, probably many hundreds of, of millions of dollars, perhaps even billions. Depending, of course, how many installations, how many, uh, uh, how many missiles, and et cetera, et cetera. But... Uh, a lot of these things are together. Um, <clears throat> another thing to another comment to make in this in this connection that people aren't aware of uh, the IDF Israel Defense Force is both larger and significantly stronger 
than the armies of Britain, France, and Germany together. Europe does not really have armies that are worth much of anything. Europe does not have the capability to defend itself today by itself. So we, this is a, a, a very significant deal if it does, if it, if indeed it does occur. Um, are we out of time? We are not out of time yet. We have another seven minutes. Okay, I, I want to jump to another subject. Uh, I'll only co cover it perhaps partially, but I think it's important that people be aware of it. Um, most people are not really cognizant of the fact that when we're speaking of Muslims, only 23% of Muslims are Arabs. The vast majority of Muslims are non-Arabs. So one of these non-Arab Muslim groups, of course, is Iran. Another is Turkey, another is etc. etc. We won't go into that. So Iranian, the vast majority of Iranians are Muslims, something like 96%, I think, something like that. But most of but 50% of Iran is people by per, people of Persian descent. 25% as Azeris, descendants of Azerbaijan. And there's a province in the southwest of Iran, which is called by the Iranians uh, uh, Kuzakhstan. And it is called by the inhabitants Ahwaz. It has a population of under 5 million, about 4.7 million, all of whom, or, or almost all of whom, are Arabs. Now, this uh, 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 province was not originally Iranian. It was conquered by Britain in 1920 and given to the Iranian government as a gift by the, Brit by the British. The British always had, you know, have this strange idea that they have the, this, this right to uh, uh, control people's lives, even if, uh, uh, just, just to show that they can, of course. Now, there have been massive protests in Ahwaz against the Iranian regime. Thousands of people have died. There has been exactly zero coverage right. in any in any Western media, mm -hmm. any Western media. Nobody talks about it. But I want to read one quote that I think is extraordinarily important and is the real reason why I bring the subject up right now. Right? Um, the Ahwazians, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, pardon me, um, also have a military arm and there have been there have been more than just protests. There have been active, there's active armed revolution there as well. One of their uh, primary leaders is a gentleman by the name of Hamid Butashir. And I'm quoting here. Our fighters attack only the military installations and personnel of the Iranian regime. We are God-fearing Muslims. We won't repeat the mistakes the Palestinians do when they attack Israeli restaurants and buses. Meaning civilians, okay. Correct. Um, uh, 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 they make a point of clearly instructing all of their fighters that their enemy is the Iranian military, not just civilians, not just people. They're not there to just make people dead. Mm -hmm. They're there to make themselves free. That's the difference between 
a real God-fearing Muslim and people who only pretend. Very interesting and very important for people to know because everybody only hears about Iran, the Iran deal, the Iran deal, the Iran deal, and uh, they're not they're not getting a full picture at all about uh, what's going on. You're, you're absolutely correct. I should also mention just uh, uh, strongly and briefly that there are also problems, significant problems in Iranian uh, uh, Azerbaijan and in Iranian Baluchistan. So it's not just the Ahwazis that are uh, 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 oppressed by the Iranian regime, by the basically by the Persian portion of Iran. The Persians are right now, and I'm not saying this about the Persian people, I'm talking about the, the regime. Persian people are nice people. They really are. I've, I've known a lot of them. The Iranian regime, which is basically owned by the Persians, not exclusively, um, the, the, the Hamenei is an, is an Azeri, but, um, but it's owned by the Persians. They are extraordinarily nasty. Well, a lot of people don't remember that Israel was on pretty good relations with Iran before the Khomeini's came in. When the Shah was ruling, there were flights going back and forth, and there was business deals, and etc. Cetera, et cetera. And that includes me. That includes you. That's right. <laughs> in, in, in February of, uh, of, of uh, 1979, I was in Athens on my way to Tehran when I massive wave of Americans arrived in uh, Athens and filled up all the hotels. And I can tell a whole bunch of really, really, really nice stories, some of them hilarious, um, about what happened and how I basically just barely managed to not go to Tehran when I was on my way. Okay, so in the last, we only have like two more minutes. Where do you want to take us? What do you want to leave us with? Okay, I, 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 think, I, I think we're painting here an interesting picture of what's going on right now. Um, uh, uh, we didn't cover anything economics today. We normally cover a lot of economic things. I didn't, we didn't talk about anything economic. Right, we didn't have a chance, right. About everything is geo, geopolitical in our session today. Um, we see things are going on in the, inside the United States, between the United States and Europe, between the United States and uh, 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 other allies, for instance, India. We're seeing that Everything, everything right now is enormously in flux, even in places that appear from the outside to be monolithic like Iran. Remember, the same time that we're talking about the Arab revolt within Iran, Iran is trying to make itself a member of the SCO. So there, a lot is going on in the world. Very hard to follow all of these things. And I suppose that's sort of what I'm here for. <laughs> All right. I wish we had more time. Uh, we're, we're, we are going to another live show after this, everybody. So stay tuned for Returning Home. You can also call in. Our numbers are on the top of our homepage at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Dr. Mordechai Ben-Menachem, I want to thank you for coming on the show today and covering the topics that we were able to <laughs> cover. And we'll get more Oh, next week. I don't know. We've got Rosh Hashanah coming, so we'll figure it out. We'll let you know as best we can. All right, everybody. Thank you for being with us here at the Tamar Yana Show. Thank you, Dr. Mordechai Ben-Manachem. Thanks for having me. 
Where can you get the inside news on Israel? At Israel News Talk Radio, we're dedicated to sharing Israel's inside story with the world by providing our listeners with news on Israeli politics, current affairs, and Israeli Jewish culture. The Israel News Talk Radio homepage also provides you, the listener, with useful information at your fingertips. With scrolling news headlines, weather, currency exchange, Shabbat candle lighting times, and so much more. Our radio programming is always accessible and on demand. We operate absolutely free of charge for everyone, everywhere. If you love what we do, partner with us now by becoming an Israel News Talk Radio supporter. With your support, you'll be inscribed on our Israel News Talk Radio Wall of Fame. There's nothing like us in the world. Be part of something great. Israel News Talk Radio. Straight talk from Israel. Howdy, this is Rita from League City, Texas, now living in Israel. And though my heart may have belonged to Texas, it now belongs to Israel and all the fantastic show hosts at Israel News Talk Radio. Hi, this is Michael Solomon from Kiryat Arba, Israel. And why do I love listening to Israel News Talk Radio? Because I love listening to the interesting interviews they do and their news reporting that most other media sources don't cover. Hey, this is Nicole Eko from Malmo, Sweden. It gets pretty cold here in Sweden, so I love cuddling up with a warm cup of tea while I listen to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, everybody, this is Frank Doris from Tennessee. Me and my dog Buster really love listening to Israel News Talk Radio. <laughs> You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. 